Um, but yeah, I'm Liza. And I'm Riz. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. I love the smell of candy corn, but I don't like the taste of candy corn. I don't mind candy corn. I could eat a couple. It just tastes like wax. Feels good to eat. Just, you ever see wax and you just want to eat it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's how it feels. Then they have those little pumpkins too that are like kind of a similar texture, but not quite the same. I don't like the pumpkins as much. I'd rather eat a candy corn than one of them pumpkins, I think. Yeah. I just love Halloween. Me too. Starting to get real good. Starting to get right up up there in that season, you know? It's getting crispy outside in a good way. So, what's your little kid? You're in your Halloween costume. You're going door to door. It's a little bit breezy out, but it's not too cold. And someone opens the door, and they hold the this the big collection of candy out. All these different candies. What are you going for? Okay, I'm. going for alternating between picking out a Kit Kat, a mini Kit Kat, and a peanut butter cup. But it has to be the big peanut butter cups. It can't be the little peanut butter cups. It has to be like the wrapped, like old-fashioned, like folded under paper peanut butter cup. Yes. And those are my two favorites. Those are stellar picks. What are you picking? Um, they don't have these at every house, but if they had it, I'm going for it. A Twix. Okay. I'm going for the Twix. Yep. And if not, I would go for either Kit Kat or Skittles. Skittles! <laughs> interesting choice to pick a a sour candy instead of chocolate if that mm-hmm. were me i would do like the little boxes of nerds that they sometimes mm-hmm. have um what candy are you switching at the end of the night with whoever you went trick-or-treating with um either nerds or tootsie rolls i like, like them both it's <gasps> just i know i can i know there's other things i like better I'm getting rid of Butterfingers because I, I I have some sort of qualm against Butterfingers. I love them. I just went to Starbucks the other day and I got um, a French toast latte. <gasps> and it was new? so friggin' good. I don't know if it's new because I don't see it at work, but um, it was at the Starbucks. I don't know if it was just them that made it. It The aftertaste was a little bit Butterfingery. But not with chocolate, just with that like weird toffee-ish kind of taste. But it was so good. 
I would give you all of my butterfingers for all of your nerds. We'd be like a good team. Um, I also don't like Snickers. I don't mind Snickers. They're just okay. I don't like Three Musketeers. Nougat, gross. I would take your Three Musketeers if you wanted my Snickers. Deal. Look at us go. We would have been good trick-or-treating buddies. Also, Did your parents have to take a tax to make sure that it was safe? Oh, well, my, here's the, I was just about to say, there was a candy that my sister and I both would never want. So my mom always got them, which is the Babe Ruth's. Mm. Fuck a Babe Ruth. And my mom, like, that's not her favorite candy, but she was like, I'm not going to not eat it just because you guys don't want it. Right. So if there was like a Babe Ruth or like a payday. Yeah. That was going to, that was going to Nikki. Yeah, those are just the like, eh, candies. Or um, Clark bars. That was a Clark bar. What even is in a Clark bar? Let me look at the. These are all like old fashioned candies that like they would still sometimes. Oh, also my mom is a milk a hoe for milk duds. Oh, that's my sister's favorite. I do. I've like- never freaking seen a Clark bar before. The hell is this? There was Clark bars and for a little while, like early early two thousands, but then. We'd get a lot of Heath bars, and I think that was another one I'd give to my mom. I'd be like, I don't freaking want whatever this adult candy is. There's, like, adult candy and kid candy, and a Heath bar is just a candy for adults. Right. Do you like um Whoppers? No. In- okay. Because I do kind of like Whoppers, and the only time I ever eat them is Halloween. Because they come in a lot of those packs. Yeah, they do. And I'm like, why? Why? It's a peculiar. Whoppers, to me, like, I know that they're candy and they don't. This is not possible. But when I eat them, I feel greasy. Yeah, no, I actually think I know what you mean. (laughs) What is that? I know what you mean. Would you ever go and someone would give you a bag of pretzels and you'd be like, literally, go kill yourself? I liked the pretzels. <gasps> no, I'd be so pissed. Um, popcorn balls are kind of fun. Yeah. Rice Krispie treats I always like. That's fun. I, I When I got older, I got smarter about it. Mm-hmm. And instead of trick-or-treating in Riverside with all the poor people... Right. I went to my cousin's house and we would walk to all like the big rich people houses. And not only were they giving out king size bars, but they would give out like chips and like huggies and fruit punch. And I'd be like the rich people. There was this one strip near my house too. one house would have apple cider and like cupcakes, which they had to stop doing like halfway through the 2000s because uh, terrorism. But um at the time before that it was always fucking clutch and then there was the really really rich street and one lady one these one ladies had chips like bags of chips and the other people had full bars yeah that's so lovely lovely it also i don't know about you but um when i was a little older too there was like this other neighborhood which is where like all the condos were and it would get like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trick-or-treaters so if you changed your costume you could go around twice so one year my friends and i went around once and then my friend lived right next door to the condos so we went over to her house changed in costumes and then went around again hell yeah liza 
hell yeah. Cheating the system. the system. Getting that candy. I love that. Oh, it's the best time of the year. It's the best time. The best of times. The bestest time of the year. F Christmas. Fuck, yeah. I don't give a shit about Christmas. I think both of our books this week were spooky. Mine was definitely spooky. Yeah, mine was definitely spooky. Um, It's Hispanic Heritage Month, people. Yay. Which started when? Do we know? Halfway through September, and it goes halfway through October. Okay. Because it starts... Let's look it up so we don't get any facts wrong. Um, Hispanic Heritage Month. Thursday, September 15th to Saturday, October 15th. Yes, we're not that late. No, not at all. We're like right... We're... we're, A healthy few weeks, healthy week into Hispanic Heritage. I love Hispanic Heritage Month because I love Latinx authors. I think they're literally the coolest ever. They are often the best kind of spooky. That's what I was literally thinking about was I love there's so much Latin American horror. Yes. So much Latin American magical realism and i'm just like that's so slay that is very slay of them like i don't even know if i i've read a few works by latinx authors that weren't magical or spooky in any way and they were phenomenal too but the bulk of my latin american book collection which is quite extensive magical and spooky And that's probably partially because I'm magical and spooky. But I think it's partially because the culture of Latin American, Latin American culture is just like very cool Mm -hmm. and magical and spooky. Magical and spooky. My author this week was Mexican-American. Oh, mine too. (gasps) Mexican-American slay. Yeah, you did V. Castro. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew this, but she has a new book that's going to be coming out. I don't know when, but apparently in the future. And it's going to be based off La Lorna. Oh, I did not know that. And one of my friends at work is Mexican-American. And they were telling me of all the different... There's like a bunch of different variations of the La Lorna myth. Mm -hmm. And usually in America, we all have the same one. Um, but they're from the same region of Texas as V. Castro. And they're the version of La Lorna they grew up with, where they were telling me very different than the one that I ever heard. So it'll be curious. To, I'm, I'm curious to know what V. Castro does with this. And I'm curious to know about your book, too. I would love to read that. I also will say that there's something about like the idea of a woman writer where she's like bookish and like nerdy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like even like I don't know why she's the first one to pop in my head. Carmen Maria Machado is sexy and I've seen pictures of her where I'm like she's sexy. Yes. But like 
I've also seen pictures of her where I'm like, oh, they made her look bookish. Yeah. And I think with V Castro, she just always looks sexy. I love that for her personally. Right. Like I like she feels more this is this sounds horrible probably, but she feels more like a real person. I think they often do try to make, I don't know what it is, but something about wanting to make women authors kind of look dowdy. Yeah. And you can be super hot. Like, that's hot that you write. That's hot. Like, and you are hot. And you are hot. hot. Um, my, my author this week is kind of giving hot, sexy vibe, too. I also, I wonder if you pronounce her name, like, kind of like Maritza. Her name is Maritza. Mm. Maritza. Love it. Um, so kind of remind me of Marissa, um, but Maritza K. Rubio. And she's also giving, like, hot girl. Yes, very much. Hot girl slay. Now I want to see what V Castro looks like now that you said that. I'm Googling. I'm Googling. Especially, like, her Twitter picture isn't, like, a super professional picture. It looks like just something she took, and I'm like, she's hot. Yeah, she's a hot girl. Right. I love this for her. We love the hot girls. You read Goddess of Filth. Yes. Okay. So, Liza. Yeah. Tell us about your book. Anything about it you want to talk about? Yeah. So, I read Maria Maria by uh, Maritza K. Rubio. It's a collection of short stories. And they're all magic in different ways. And they're all sort of like about Mexican-American families and women and it was really freaking cool and I think this just reminded me of how good a short story can be and how good a short short story can be if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like you can do so much in so little pages and I think that's why I love short stories so much. And like, I haven't read a collection of short stories in a really long time. And we used to read them so much in college. And I feel like this was exactly the book I needed to remind me that like how baller um, short stories are. Love short stories. Um, What about your book? What about Miss V Castro? My book... Yeah, it's it's a tiny little thing. Um, it's only 146, I think. Let me 141 pages. Um, I was telling this to Liza when I was looking at this book. So it was published by Creature Publishing. Just so friggin' cool to start off with. Um and on the spine, I think the spine was too small to print the title, maybe. I don't know, but they just have like a human spine printed on it and it's, it's beautifully done. Um, And then another thing that I really like about it is as like section dividers, they have like eyes and the eyes change, like they open and then they slowly close. Um, And I love books that give you a little feel like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like 
a little tiny visual thing that could mean something but could mean nothing but is there all the same I think that's so cool mm-hmm. um and so yeah so that was really cool that book and I really yeah I really like that I love it I love it I love that without further ado should we get it right into it so yeah so I read goddess of filth and pretty much um the story for this book is you have some best friends were sitting around doing their thing having a sleepover before they go to college you know just chilling with your besties as one does and they decide to like do a little seance for fun and the one friend does in fact get possessed and pretty much the story is like figuring this out and and moving through that and dealing with her family and her parents who are freaking out while like the girl who gets possessed, her name's Fernanda, and she is, um, I think, the only friend of the five who is actually going to college and who has the money and the brains to do it. Um, so they're pretty much like, we need to spend this whole summer and get her unpossessed so that she could do what we aren't able to do. Um, which is also kind of very heartbreaking. And so, yeah, so they go through that and that's what they're moving towards. Um, and while I was reading this book, there were a couple things that I noticed and I would say this isn't your average possession story. If that makes sense, it feels as though, um, you know, this demon isn't interested. I don't even think it's a demon. It's more like a spirit. This interested in taking Fernanda's soul or control over her body or any of that. Um, The demon kind of has a, a greater purpose. Um, or the spirit has like a greater purpose and it recognizes that Fernanda also has a a greater purpose. And, um, this demon preys on people. It seems like who do violent acts towards women which I'm here for (laughs) I'm here for it um and instead of like I don't know like you think in the exorcist Reagan when she's possessed she's she's very sexual and vulgar And in this book, Fernanda is the same way, but it's less in a way of being dirty and more 
in a way of embracing femininity, which is a really cool take on that. Um, And, you know, this is a conversation that we can have one time about possession and why most possession movies involve little girls being possessed and doing vulgar acts. Like, why is that the frightening thing? There's a lot there. Um, But I like how this book kind of flips that on the head. And um, I think there's a little twist at the end that will be fun and interesting if anyone decides to read this, which you definitely should. So let's get into it. For readability and interest, um, I gave this book a nine because I flew through this book. And I think I read it in two sittings and I could have read it. I could have read it in one sitting if I had the time. But even besides that, not only is it short, not only are the chapters relatively short for the most part, and if a chapter is not short, then the page breaks are usually, um, or the section breakers are usually pretty evenly spaced, which is nice. Um, But it was something that I was like actively interested in, actively involved in. Um, wanted to know what was going to happen next and all that, which was, that's kind of what you want from a book. Um, for language and style, I'm going to give it an eight. There was nothing overly complicated about this book, which I always love that and appreciate that in a book. It did feel like a group of friends. Um, and and which I want to talk about this more. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on remember what I said about language and style. I'm gonna hop to form real quick, and I think that will explain some of what I mean a little bit better in a minute. Um, or at least help me explain it. So for form. There was nothing really experimental about it, but what I will say is, so I'm not going to rate form, but I am going to talk about it a little bit. So again, there's five different friends and um, the point of view kind of jumps around between them. But the interesting thing is Lords, the, the one friend Anytime it's her point of view, it's first person. Oh my God, it's hailing now. Uh -uh, I'm thinking crazy thoughts. Anyways, um, so it would be um, whenever Lords is, it's her point of view, it's going to be I. But if it's anyone else, it'll be, you know, Fernanda and she and her. Um, which is interesting for that. Um, because I don't know if I've, and I'm sure many books do switch around like that, but I don't know if I've read many of them 
that do it in such a subtle way as this book does it. Um, and that's kind of what I mean about the style and about the language and style and how it feels like thoughts, like an experience, even if it is multiple point of views and not always first person point of view. That's my thoughts on that. For Shelf Worthy and Read Again, um, I'm going to give this an eight. I'm keeping it on my shelf. I love it. Would I read it again? Yes. It's a short read. It's a good, like, you know, it's about friendship in a weird way. And it's about, it's about friendship in a weird way. Um, and also just about the situation that you're in and how we move about these situations. And like, I don't know, everyone's been in a situation where like one of your friends is kind of in trouble and you don't fully want their mom to know and you don't want your mom to know and you're all like hatching plans about it. Everyone's better than that. It's fun, it's silly, goofy. Um, for plot, I'm also gonna give it an eight. Like I talked about in the beginning, this is a possession story and you know, I brought up the exorcist and we can go through and count billions and trillions of possession stories. Um, but I think this one uses the normal tropes of possession stories and turns it into something different. And that makes it interesting. Um, that makes it original and something, I don't know, that I appreciate. Um, cause isn't it kind of remind us like tropes are so overdone, but if we can take the tropes and use them in our own way, then it's something new. I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of like, that's what the tropes are there for in a weird way, even if it doesn't seem like that. So yeah, and and like I said, I was interested and I did want to keep reading this and whatnot. For characterization, I gave it um, a seven. I think that I think that you know the friendship between the girls is it feels real and it, they really do feel like sisters in a way and they feel they feel I don't know they do feel like family and it does feel like when you're reading this book you're almost like one of the group you're you're with these girls and you're hanging out with these girls and these are your like these are your friends for the 140 pages that you're reading this book and I always appreciated that when you don't feel out I mean, like, I've definitely read books. I've read a lot of YA books where I'm like, these characters feel like good characters and, like, friends, but I don't feel like I'm in with the group. Where, like, I read this book and I'm like, I'm in with the group. I'm in with the cool girls. Um, and I think that their dynamics, it's all really interesting and beautiful and... Um, I don't know. I just simply think that, you know, she did a real good job with characterization. And I will say, like, getting to the end of this story, I did cry 
and I, I finished this book on the plane home and I was like <laughs> simply because there was something that I thought was going to happen that I was almost sad to happen and it didn't happen but then I realized like this is a permanent thing and that almost made me I don't know it made me like feel soft um so I cried but yeah I think this book was great and I think everyone should take the time and read it and yeah that's that's my tea on um goddess of filth um I like really, really like what you were saying about, first of all, I really want to read this book. Second of all, I really am still thinking about, and I think I'll be thinking about it for a while, what you were saying about possession and like a bunch of different factors about it. Like the first thing I want to address is it is very peculiar to me now that you said that that people who are possessed in horror and in film are often little girls and they're often being possessed by an very old male entity or masculine entity that then makes them say and do really creepy shit. Um, and I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing Two more things about it. I think it is really cool when a person is possessed by a feminine energy. So like this, for example, reminded me more of like Jennifer's body. Yeah. I'm like Jennifer's body is obviously like a horror comedy. Like it's not meant to be that serious. But the part of the reason I love that movie so much is because like there is like this serious aspect of it. And like they took this innocent girl because they thought she was a virgin and tried to kill her, killed her. She wasn't a virgin. So she became into this like succubus monster who then went and was only killing boys. And there's that classic line. That's like, I'm not killing people needy. I'm killing boys. And like, that's supposed to be funny, but it's also like, there's just so much in that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, goddess of filth like the way you were talking about it kind of reminded me of jennifer's body in a way a lot yeah and then the other thing that i think was thinking about like that i just love horror theory and i love to think about horror theory all the time and i feel like possession tropes is just another way we can look at how i think it's a way for us to look at abjection mm-hmm. object fear of castration like all of these like little tropes that men wrote because they were afraid of women but women kind of reclaimed in a really cool way and that's what I was thinking about we love that we love that we love that we love horror I think like the first time that I saw an actual p- 
possessed person who was a girl or in a, a who was a boy in a movie was um when this most recent conjuring movie came out which was based on a true story and i even think like the story that the exorcist is based on like not the book i mean what the book is actually based on the real life story what it was based on is it was a boy who was possessed that's weird it's weird to change it into a girl right for what reason for what leave us alone the only one minding I, our own business let it we're, we're minding our own business the only one i could think of was in american horror story asylum there's a boy who gets possessed at some point but he's not even like the main possession like am i wrong isn't sister mary eunice like the main sort of is she possessed or is she just go a little no, crazy i think she's possessed yeah she's possessed so like this boy gets possessed you're right you're right and when they're exercising it from him it goes into her mm-hmm and I'm like, okay, so we had a boy who was possessed, and then they put it right into this woman who's supposed to be so innocent and pure, and she's a nun. The second she gets possessed, she tries to start sleeping with the priest. Right. And gets all sexy and and starts swearing and shit. And there's something cool about that, but there's also something not cool about that. Right. And I think it all hangs in if there's a woman creating the horror or not. <laughs> Like, why you got to make feminine sexuality bad? And, and that's where, like, yeah. And that's where, again, abject and fear of castration comes in again. I just love, I love, I, oh, my God. I love, I love girls writing horror. I really, I'm going to become the president and ban men from writing horror except for joe hill and stephen graham jones they're allowed and rl stein can continue as well but stephen king must stop (laughs) stephen king uh we'll have to sacrifice some people like clive barker but you know it's worth it we don't know like maybe you'll love that clive barker book but also like that's a risk we're freaking willing to take we're taking it (laughs) um how fun. What fun. Um, your turn. <laughs> More spooky, yuki, Hispanic, um, Mexican-American, rather, horror stories. I also love the cover. This is an arc, but the cover that came out looks very sim- almost exactly the same. It's got a little skeleton on it. We love the skeleton. I love the Monstera plants. We love the Monstera plants. This collection of short stories was so cool. Um, Maritza Rubio is very cool. I think she's going to become quite a force in the world of literary fiction. I'm just looking at the back of this, and basically this this book is split into a bunch of short stories, and then the last one is a novella. And whoever wrote this blurb described the novella as tropigoth, or like, tropic gothic tropical gothic which i think is really cool because we already have the book mexican gothic which i never read yet but i really want to read it but tropical gothic that's so cool because we always have like southern gothic new england gothic 
Appalachian Gothic is having a moment on TikTok, Midwestern Gothic. Like I just said, Mexican Gothic, but Tropic Goth, Tropic Gothic. That's cool as fuck. I love that. And it kind of reminds me of my best book. I My favorite book I read so far this year. It still remains at number one. Um, is The Bitch by Pilar Quintana, which is by a Colombian author. It takes place in Colombia. And that I would say there's like a rainforest is like a big part of that book. And I would describe that as Tropagoth too. And now I'm like new favorite freaking aesthetic just dropped. Tropagoth. Um but this book is super cool. Every single story is magic in some way. Um, so for example, like the first story is like, a, it's called um, Brujeria for Beginners. And it's a witch, like a bruja, brujeria class at a community college. And it's so fun and cool. Um there's one where there's like Satan in a train station. Um, there's one that has like um, almost giving like, what's that movie that everybody loves everywhere, everything at once, which I haven't seen yet. Um, but it's giving that like multiple universes and like, how do you find the right one? Or really like, how do you find one that you're happy with the ending of, which is like an interesting concept. <laughs> The last one, Maria Maria, is very cool as well. And it had me thinking a lot about how how much I love subtle apocalypses. Um, because the background of this story is like a very like you can kind of tell there's an apocalypse occurring slash has occurred, but that's not the point. And that reminds me a lot of the book I read, Here Lies, a little earlier in this season, as well as Perhaps my favorite Hispanic American author ever, Carmen Maria Machado, in Her Body and Other Parties, has this one story that takes place during a plague, but it's just a list of all of her ex-lovers, and it is such a fucking cool story, and it's about these people, but the background is this airborne illness, and... I remember rereading that during the pandemic was such a surreal experience, but I just love the genre of a, like a subtle apocalypse. Like let's have more of that. That's so pussy slay. Um, but my favorite stories in this was one called Bur burial, which this little girl wants to do slash can do necromancy there's also a lot of earthquakes in this which is really interesting like earthquakes are a common thread throughout this and one day this earthquake brings up the bones of a saber-toothed tiger and she does a spell and she brings the saber-toothed tiger to life and it's like prowling around the city killing people and but it always has a special connection to her it's so freaking cool and then my other favorite story was had a lot of so this book has art in it throughout which i love we love when people put art in their book and let me see if i can find um what was the title of the it? 
the title was just called Art Show. And that was my other favorite story. And both that one and Brujeria for Beginners are very short. And in fact, the one in between that is very short too, which is about like this woman trying to properly dispose of her husband, trying to dispose of her husband's body in the way that he would have wanted. And that's where I was like, it hit me how cool a short story can be and how cool short stories are and how they don't get enough credit for how cool they are. That's a little bit that on that. Um, for readability, I gave this book an eight. I love this book. Short stories are interesting because it's interesting to me to talk about readability when we talk about short stories, because I think it's very easy to just, they're snacks, you know? And I think you can read them in a really different way than you read other books. And that's why I think talking about readability can be slightly more complex because I could have read one story from this a day and then been like, okay, um, read another one tomorrow. And it would have been fine. And like maybe each one of the stories would have been playing on my mind for longer had I did that. And so it's almost like also begs the question, like, what is the best way to read a short story collection? Because when you read a novel, right, you can read it all in big chunks in one sitting, in a few sittings. And then there's a, there's a through line throughout. So that's what's going to keep playing on your mind. But is there something to say against reading a collection of short stories in succession? Because does that prevent you from ruminating on a, the previous short story? Because it has no connection to the next one? I don't know. Something to think about. It also something to think about, like, how do we rate a collection of short stories on a whole and how does that differ from how we write a novel? And that's just something we haven't had to deal with in a while. We, neither of us have read collections of short stories in a minute. So that was something I was thinking about. But I finished this book rather quickly. The stories were playing on my mind. I'm still thinking about a lot of them. For language, I gave this book a seven. There was nothing particularly weird about Rubio's writing, which is never a bad thing. I mean, sometimes it's a bad thing, <laughs> but in this case, it wasn't a bad thing. Uh, kind of like I think Marissa was saying this about V. Castro, like the writing was very like simple is never the word I want to use, but kind of like straightforward. Like there was nothing peculiar happening, which I do often really like peculiar writing, but I don't think this collection needed that and I, I really did like Rubio's writing style but that's just a reason why I gave it a seven instead of you know something more because it was just a very like good clean tight writing I think the shining stars of this book came more so from the form which I gave an eight I loved that there was art throughout this book especially in art show Art show was basically like these like like kind of descriptions of these paintings or these drawings and sort of like low key how they came to be. But they were all like these weird little short stories 
in and of themselves but I just love the artwork like I think that's so cool and I think you should if your collection seems like it needs art do it dude like it's not weird it's cool like just live your life it's so fun and so I really had to applaud her for that um she did that in the last book the novella as well she had art like there's a whole section about like making different like origami that's really fucking cool and like hello sick and the reason other reason I wanted to rank this high on form is because you can do so much with a short story because the definition of what a short story is is so vague it's just a short story like there's no more description than that so I think this book is a prime example of all the different things you can do with a short story and how they can all be wildly different from each other in form, in content, and, you know, how you put them together in a collection and how you make that make sense. And for this one, it was that the content was very similar. They were all unique. They were all different from each other, but the content was very similar throughout. It was but she picked a different way to tell a story in every single one. I just think that was so cool. And that's why I really, really, really liked the form of this one. And that was probably what stuck with me the most about it. For shelf worthiness, I also give this book an eight. I'm definitely going to keep it in the collection. I'm already always thinking about... I don't know if anybody else does this, but I often think about like how, like what collections of what kinds of books I want. And I'm like, I want a really big collection of like witch history books. And I want a really big collection of horror. But like one thing I already have that I want to grow and grow and grow is a collection of Latin American authors and, and slash Central American authors. And this is just like a, one that can, I think, fit into that really well it's something I would go back to I also have a weird brain where I always think about books I read through like a teaching lens and I'm like because of how I think if I had seen a short story collection like this when I was writing my thesis I would have been a little bit more adventurous with um what I did with my thesis and that's not to say I'm not proud of what I did I am and I did switch things up as much as I like, you know, could. I think I would have done some more weird shit had I seen that you could have a cohesive collection and have each method of storytelling very different in each story. For plot, I gave this book a nine. I think each story was really freaking cool. Each stood on their own. I loved sort of the connecting imagery of magical realism and horror and devils and earthquakes and natural disaster and all of which I'm sure feel very cool to somebody on the outside but I'm sure there was a lot of cohesive threads I missed because I'm not Mexican-American and I would be interested to talk about this book with a Mexican-American person um, to learn about what threads came out for them and maybe even what certain threads meant because I'm sure there's stuff that I could only get a baseline level of understanding because I'm not Mexican-American or because I'm not Hispanic-American. 
but I love this and I love like I'm gonna think about that story about the saber-toothed tiger forever like I just thought it was so fucking cool and I love when that happens I love when you get a new favorite like short story I think that's always so fun for characterization I gave this book a seven it talking about characterization in a book of short stories is another thing that I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about because it's hard right you're not with the same characters through the whole thing you're sometimes with a character for only a set amount of pages you're sometimes with no character in a short story but I do think each of the stories that had clear characters were really well done and were really strong and all the people felt quite different which is always cool and I always think about too this word of advice that we got from one of our teachers that was because there's not a lot of room for growth in a short story right and one thing our one of our professors always said was your characters don't have to have changed by the end of the short story, but the reader needs to have. And I think you can take that in a lot of ways. Like you can look at Burial, which is the one about the saber-toothed tiger and say, this story literally, like I am fully changed by the end of this because I love this story and this, that, and the other. But then you could look at one like Art Show, which was all these weird little vignettes and these little drawings. And it's like, there was no characters in that shit, but I still feel like that rule applies because I read that and I was like, how freaking cool. Like you can do this with a short story. You can tell a story this way. Poetry can be, you know, prose and prose can be poetry and art can be writing and writing can be art. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to necessarily mean character development for good characterization to happen, which I think is kind of important to remember, especially because I feel like we are, like often talk about, we as a society, not me and Marissa, but we as a society like talk of characterization is put next to character development, but they're two different things and they don't need to both happen. Characterization needs to happen, but character development, not really. Not really. And that's that's it. That's Maria Maria by Marcia K. Rubio. I do think people should pick this one up. I'm sure it will come out in paperback within the next few months and everybody should get it. And also watch out for Maurizia because I think she's, like I said, I think she's going to be on the come up. I would like to read it. You would love it. You would love it, especially because of the art aspect of it. Like every time somebody does that, mm-hmm. it reminds me of you because you're like the only person I know now that does that. <laughs> the only person I know now. Like I know other people, but I know you. And I've done it. And you know what? I'd do it again. I'd do it again. With the... um the photocopies of the feet photocopies of the feet um they're swimming around in there and they were important to the story they were very important they were very important to the story 
No, I also just feel like so many times writers aren't considered artists in a lot of places. Like, I don't feel like we were really considered as good as like other majors at Pratt yeah. because we weren't a hands-on like physical art, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and then, so like for me, I don't know. I just always thought that to put, to put art into my work would make me be seen as more of an artist, which is silly that I even had to feel that way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I don't know, like, why? I just never think that it that that they the two go together, and they really do. It's just I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird, you know. It's definitely interesting to think about. It's definitely something to think about. But it it does make me feel good when I see like writers, including that. Also, why do why do images in books only have to be for little kids? Why? I'm like I want to be visually simulated. Right? Don't we all? And you can say certain things with words that you can't say with pictures, and you can say certain things with pictures that you can't say with words. Right. So explain that. Explain it. You can't. You can't do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Mad respect to writers for doing that. Yeah. Um. And I also think pictures in a novel, yes, needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But like pictures with short stories, I don't know. I feel like it adds something. It does. Like your 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 story shouldn't. Well, no, I don't even want to say that. I was gonna say your story shouldn't need it, but also why? Why? You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, wh- who cares? And and it's I don't know. There's something. A short story is almost like satisfying in its own way to a point mm-hmm. but when you add like pictures in it that can raise the level of it delicious it's so good like everybody needs to do it extra seasoning on your little literary snack right which we love those are our thoughts on that we love we love and we love Latinx authors, and we thank Latinx authors for all the cool fucking shit that they're doing. You should be reading Latinx authors all year long. But Today, tomorrow, this week, next week, this month, next month, all year, Christmas time. All Summer. time. Summer, spring, fall, winter, Hispanic authors. Also, you should especially pick a few that you have never read before during this month. Yes. And this episode, I think, comes out on the last, one of the last days of September. 
So that's your reminder to go to the library, get your library card, and pick a book by a Hispanic author that you never read before. For free. For free. And that's your homework for the week. Please report back next Thursday. And you better have done your homework or you don't get to go to recess. Or we're sending the goddess of filth to come get you. We're sending the goddess of filth. And the saber-toothed tiger. Saber-toothed tiger. Um, all of them. All of them are coming and they're going to get you. And they're going to eat you up. Sorry. Sorry about it. Delicious. What are we doing next week? Oh, something a little bit fun, something we're excited about. Um, one of our most favorite podcasters has come out with a book. Elena Urquhart has released The Butcher and the Wren. Elena of Morbid. Morbid. Elena of Elena and Ash. Have you started it yet? I haven't. Have you? I have. Do you like it I so already, far? I already really like it. Oh, hell yeah. I'm so excited. I always get so nervous when someone I really, really like does something. I know, because it's like... <laughs> but um, there's a lot of information in here that I feel like in other crime books, it's almost like mentioned or glossed over and that's it but this book really goes into it and i'm like and and i think that probably comes from the fact that elena is a true crime podcast host but also she is a medical examiner Mm -hmm. and that what a cool thing to have a medical examiner write a book where i'm sure some sort of medical examination of the day is taking also when when you're in college and people are like, oh, write an author's or write a writer's bio or whatever. And you know how like everyone's like, oh, like Marissa drinks her tea with no sugar and a little bit of cream in the morning. And she lives by the sea and breathes in the salty air. You know what I mean? Like, that's how all of them are. Like, I just always thought that that was like a cheesy like writing school thing you know what I mean but because like you never see that on actual books no it's always like oh this author resides here with their husband and maybe their cat and like they write books and on the side they work in the school yeah that's like it um Elena's is kind of like that but like not in a cheesy way like in a cool way I also like that she did a shout out to Bailey yeah, um, ghost baby, her ghost puggle. Rest in peace, Bailey. He deserved a, a shout out. I'm so excited though. So that's next week. That's next week, and it kicks off. Little sleep, much Halloween. Much Halloweening. We're gonna have a whole month of Halloween content, as if. Our regular content isn't spooky. It's hey. going to get more spooky. Is it possible? No. no. Are we doing it? Yeah. 
that's just so funny about us. We were like, t- we're like, next week starts our horror month. They say as they both read horror books this week. Last week, and the week before that. <laughs> well, I yours was kind of wicked and big fish, arguable, but they both were weird. <laughs> Wicked's pretty spooky. Wicked's pretty spooky. Big it's fish, a little. It's pretty dark. Yeah, it's not the musical loves. <laughs> so that that's a reminder to go back and listen to the musicals episode featuring Annie Planker if you have not done yet. Our beloved Shnan. Our Shnan. Our Lord and Shnan Savior. <laughs> our Glee Club legend. Our Glee Club legend. Our cat mom extraordinaire. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Shnan Money's um, kittens, unnamed and unnamed. Potentially Holmes and Myrtle. Stop. Yeah. But I think hey, Holmes is such a funny Holmes. name. Like, hey, Holmes. You know? Um, Stockholm Syndrome. One Direction. Anyways. Um, I'm t- still not telling anybody who hasn't seen it yet my thoughts on Don't Worry Darling, but um, if you see it, let a, let me know. Because <laughs> I want to know. I'll like, be seeing it soon. And Marissa and I are going to have a long chat about it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait. I already had my chat with Lexi and Cassidy. And... Can I just ask, was it good? Do you want to know? Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> and I think you'll okay. appreciate me saying that. Lexi and Cassidy both liked it. But it was... Parts of it were really cool, but parts of it were just so bad. Mm-mm. Just so bad. Much to think about, love. That's all they wrote. Um, mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed our mini lecture on Don't Worry Darling and Horror. And we'll see you next week for The Butcher and The Rent. <laughs> <laughs>